The Thrivecast is sponsored by Intuit. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to helping accounting professionals save time and grow their practice. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor program, you can truly boost your efficiencies, collaborate with clients, and play a pivotal role in fueling their success. Follow the link in the show notes to find out more. You know, Greg Kite, this is episode 73, 73. Book Club. I love episodes that are prime numbers. Prime number episode in the house. Yeah, yeah. and this is it's our annual book club. We've been doing this for what? Is this our third or fourth year that we've done a summer know. book club? I we, this is I love this episode, man. <laughs> I do too. Love it's it. so weird. Why? Because we, you and I we get, get to just listen to ourselves talk the whole, the whole episode. No, 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 no important person coming no. in and, and making us shut up. Not today. We're here. We ain't asking nobody nothing. We're telling. <laughs> exactly. So we're got, we're te- we got four books we're going to go through. Yep, four books. We got, uh, real quick, let's hit them. We're going to talk about the book uh, Essentialism. That's yours. And then you and then you're going to talk about uh, what book? Tell I'm me doing, your book. I'm doing. Who wrote Essentialism? I don't know. No, you have it, to tell the name part, and the part of well, part of the part of the friggin' thing is that uh, <laughs> of even... essentialism is that you're only supposed to look at the things that are essential. It doesn't matter. Oh, who, his name is an essential. Oh, that was concept. an example of Greg, essentialism. Greg McCohen's name isn't essential to my knowing how to okay. apply essentialism. This sounds like part of the podcast where we would stop and start over, doesn't it? <laughs> but we do not do that. Yeah, no way. My book is is Die Empty by Shoot. Todd Henry. <laughs> and my second What's book. What's your second book that you don't know the type, uh, the author's it's name? Play Play Anything by Egan Bogost. <laughs> Why did you say it that way? Because that's a... Uh, because that's how you say it. Bogos. Okay. <laughs> and then my book is, the, I don't know, this is a very thick scientific book, Persuasion by Dr. Robert Cialdini. Right. And I'm assuming that that book is, uh, that that was what the uh, the movie Inception was, uh, was based off totally. of. Totally. Okay. Good. Totally. Have you seen the movie Inception? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Jason's been watching movies. That's I watched the big, a movie. That's the scoop for this podcast. That's a great movie. Oh, yeah, that's it's fantastic. Awesome. Okay, um, good. So we're going to try to do ten minutes per book. There's no way we're going to we're going to cover everything, but we got some good stuff to say. We man. do. We do tons of good stuff, uh, and we're going to start just by jumping in on uh, on the book Essentialism okay, by Greg McCohen. Uh, whose name is not essential. Uh, this book, actually, funny thing, I was first introduced to uh, this book uh, through uh, Thrival member Barrett Young. Oh, cool. Who he he just he like tweeted out before last year's Deeper Weekend. Mm. Uh, he tweeted out that on his drive down because he drives from Maryland down to South Carolina for Deeper Weekend That's every right. year. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he tweeted that he's get, he, he was like, I'm going to be listening to two different audiobooks nice. on my way down to Deeper Weekend. He says, I'm going to be listening to Essentialism, uh, which is like the di- Essentialism, the subtitle is The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. And he is also going to be listening to the, bi- the, the Billionaire Next Door. And I was like, <laughs> I, 
was <laughs> two like, opposite. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what was? So you're gonna learn how to not have everything with all the money that what, that you're gonna make or, or something like that. And, and he was like, and I and I told him that, and he was like, no, idiot, you don't. <laughs> understand That's these so books because essentialism even though i told like i personally am am a minimalist i okay i would prefer to only own things that i use regularly i mm. don't like i'm i'm the i'm an anti-hoarder i i it annoys me when i have to own things that i only use periodically why so does it I, distract your life or something is that why you do that it just, I don't, you know what? I, my therapist hasn't been able to figure, figure out the exact causes for that yet. I but need your therapist cell, cell number. I can there's some, share with there's them something, some things. There's something that just, that just bugs me. Like I can look around, like I have a, I have a folding chair right back here. Right. It's for, for sitting on at the beach. And I use that like maybe four times a year. That pisses me off. I don't want to own that because I, <laughs> The, uh, but, but anyways, but, but he was like, no, you're an, it's not, it's not about having, it's not about having less stuff. It's about, it's, a, it's not about stuff. There's plenty oh, of I books see. about minimalist living. This is about essentialism, okay. which kind of takes, it's, I think it's a great companion to what's his butt's book. Uh, why start with why <laughs> Simon what's Sinek. That? Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, because it's, because it, this guy is like, is like, not just start with why, he's like. <laughs> He's like, figure out your why and get rid of everything else in your damn life. Is that what Nothing, essentialism is? That's what essentialism is, and that's and he and here's the here's the crazy thing. He's it, he's talking about less. This is this is really the to capsulize the book to to encapsulate the idea of the book. It's it's in your life you need to be doing less, but the stuff that you're doing you need to do better. Oh, okay. Uh, it, the idea is that everyone is work. We're, we all are. We all have a tendency to be a mile wide and an inch deep. Definitely. And he's like, that. That sucks. You don't even want. You don't want that. But you do that. And uh, and and that we we all do that. And and one of the big things that he was saying in this book was that we live our. We need to start living our lives actively choosing what we're doing Ooh. rather than living by default and, oh. and, and living by default. Cause here's what living by default is. Cause this happens to you. This happens to me. This happens to everybody where people come up to us and they say, Hey, Jason, um, I've got this really great opportunity and, and you know, do you want to be involved in it? Or, Hey, Jason, here's this thing. We need to get this done. Can you, can you work on that? Or, Hey, Jason, uh, here's, here's something else that, that maybe we need to do even in our, uh, you know, in your personal life or in your family or something like that. And we've learned, we've been acclimated over life that, that a way to ingratiate ourselves to other people is to be yes people mm. to say, yeah, I can work on that or yeah. Or, or, and, and not, not just yes people, but even when it comes to opportunities, it's like, Hey, Jason, I got this great opportunity. I think you'd be interested in it is you go, Ooh, maybe this is like the next big thing. Maybe this is the thing that's really going to take off and become a huge deal. And you're, and you want to say, well, I don't, I, I'm afraid to say no to that because it could be, it could, it has the, it has a potential of being huge. Okay. So I got a question. Yeah. Is this being an essentialist is basically not letting people pick your brain because 
they're deciding your future strategy and your path forward instead of you being intentional about choosing your own right path that happens to be essential, Yes, but it's not more than what you need. Right. That's a huge part of it. It is just real. Like a huge part of this book was just realizing is just that realization that we tend to uh, get get sucked into a lot of tasks that are not the best, our point of, of major contribution. So what's the best thing that you can be doing? It's probably not cleaning toilets. Mm. That's why you have a janitor. Mm. But it's also probably not doing some presentation that isn't your point of of major contribution. And whatever that means, it means you it, it goes back. We didn't we do a whole episode of the Thrivecast at one point about pruning? We, yeah, we've talked a lot about pruning in the past. Yeah, cause, I, think. I can't remember that, which one. This book this book could just be called pruning because uh, that's that, because that's hugely what it is, is it saying you, you, the, the big work, and this is the thing, he's like, we're not essentialist, we're non-essentialist, that are, that's our default, and so we're doing way too much crap, and we're way too busy to do any of it amazingly well. You with me on that? that yeah, this, relates to, this relates to coaching a lot of times. When I'm coaching people, we're trying to, coaching is about identifying a path forward in your business that is very intentional and has been weighed yes. by its risk and reward. But I yes. find most business owners have a strategy by accident is what we say. We say, yeah. have you accidentally stumbled into a strategy and you look right. five years later and go, how did I get here? That's because right. they weren't practicing essentialism to choose the right path right. And, and choose only the path and not additional things that didn't add to it. Right. Exactly. That's exactly I like to actually just this morning before we re- recorded this podcast, I met with one of the doctors in my building. He says, Hey, I have a great idea. We have this neighbor. They've got too many employees and not enough parking. What if we sold parking permits in our parking lot at like 20 bucks a month and we could probably sell a whole bunch of these wow. parking permits. And I told him, Nope, I'm not going to do that because uh, <laughs> okay. being a parking lot attendant is not what I do. That's it's not, not what you – and all of that. This guy's my boss, and mm. I needed to say that's not what you pay me to do. It's Yeah, it could be wow. it could be money that we could make, but that's not where you want me to be devoting my time. So nope, I'm not going to do that. So that's that's one of those things where it's just, but but so often especially when it's your boss who comes up and says stuff, you're it's so easy to go, "Oh, damn, the boss said that yep. I should do this, so I'm going to do it." But here here's one of the cool things and they didn't really get into this in the book, but this is where my brain took me is that since so many people live have strategy by default, live Live by default are doing everything by default. That's where most people live. If you are able to become someone who's actively choosing the stuff that mm. you're doing, where you're going, okay, I've you know I've I've gotten out of the matrix, whatever. I've I've woken up and I've realized I need to actively choose my life because I look at major life choices that I've made over time, and a lot of them have been things that I've just kind of fallen into. Mm. I was good at oh, yeah. math and. I was good at math in high school, so I was like, I guess I should get a math degree in yep. college. Bad idea. Yeah. That's why I ended up doing that, hating it, and going back and getting an accounting <laughs> degree. So um, so we we make these, but what if you're the only guy who's actively choosing in a world of people who are default choosing? You would be the king you of the would, planet. You would crush it. You would crush it. And that's the thing that that's the power in essentialism that people don't understand is that if you're the active chooser in a, in a sea of people who are default living, you can 
you can destroy in whatever you're trying to do. Well, I got a thought about essentialism. Yeah. Here's yeah, what know. I think. My Julie and I, my partner, we we spend a lot of time each week planning and doing strategy around the future of our firm and how we're going to walk forward. So, and and what we're practicing, I think, is this, we're practicing essentialism. We're choosing the right path and we're saying no to all other paths. But, right. But do you know what? It sounds like what essentialism comes with, and, and and I guess people should know this, is that it comes with a necessary time to step back, assess the situation, talk through it, weigh its risks and reward, and decide on a right path. So I think to be essential, you can't just do that. You can't even choose the essential things by default. You have to take the time necessary to stop, step out of your life, maybe have a third party step into it with yeah. you make those assessments, and few people have the time to make essential choices. And so by default, they move ahead and plow ahead with a, with many wrong choices. Do you think that's true? I, that's absolutely it. And, that's, and that was the thing. To me, reading the book, that was sort of how this book stressed me out, was just like, <laughs> oh, you need, I need everyone who really wants to do this needs to take that time to like, like a personal, it's almost like you need to take a personal retreat Oh yeah, where you just get away and go, okay, what, not only what's really important to me, but what, like what, but what is important to me? It's, it's kind of that, remember the hedgehog principle Mm -hmm. of the, uh, the good Good to great. great. Yep. It's kind of that whole thing of figuring that out. Starting it's it's the hedgehog principle starting with why, but you, you can't, you can't fake a why. You can't fake a core purpose. You can't just choose. You can't. You don't want to default choose what your point of greatest contribution is going to be because you right. get it wrong. So, so you do. You absolutely have to do that groundwork to be able to do essentialism right. Is going like for me. I I'm an accountant and I'm a comedian and I love both of those things mm-hmm. and the intersection of those two things is really what I need to be wh- uh, where I need to that's focus. Essential on. for you. That's that's my essential place. So, um, so I want to, I want to talk real quick. I want to hit three, three points that that stuck out to me in this book. You got to hurry. I'm going to, we're past our 10 minutes per book. What? No, dude, I'm telling you, no, let me finish. I I warned you. you, We're not going to get through these. You You let me finish. Uh, first (laughs) off the word priority was not plural until like 30 years ago. So you didn't know. Listen, there was no such thing as having priorities. You had a priority. Whoa, whoa, mind blowing. Second whoa. thing uh, that he talked about is the importance of sleep, which kind of bugged me at first because it's like, hey, you're telling me to get rid of the non-essential stuff, but then you're telling me I need to sleep. And he was like, yeah, you absolutely need to sleep because when you're drowsy, when you're if you got four hours of sleep and you're walking through your day like a zombie, you're not going to be able to make a powerful contribution in anything. Go to bed. That's a huge that seriously. That's been a huge <laughs> thing I've taken with me from this book. Go to bed. Wow. The, the third thing he's got an entire. If you get this book. Even if you just go to Barnes and Noble and find it and pick it up and thumb through it, read through. He's got an entire chapter that's devoted to graceful ways to say no wow. when someone asks you to do something. Just there's like seriously, he's got like a dozen different ideas of here's here are ways to say no, which includes some of the things. He's like if your boss comes to you and says, "Hey, I want you to do something, do this." do this project is say, Hey, obviously that's, that's a place you want me to be. What, what other thing that I'm doing right now, would you like me to deprioritize so that I can get to that? And then at that point you put the boss 
in the position of going, oh, right, you're already at capacity. I can't have you do a million things. You know, so that that's interesting. In, in, in coaching firm owners, it's wild. A lot of them ask the question, how do you fire a client? And that's always stumped me because I'm like, you mm-hmm. you email them, you're you're fired. It it always right. seems simple, but <laughs> right. but you're basically saying how to say no is a huge is a skill we don't have. Yeah. We actually ask people, how do you say no? And you go, well, you just say no. It but it's actually a hard thing for people to it's do. It's a really hard thing, but to do. it's key yeah, to essentialism. It it is saying that's the biggest thing is that you got to not just. You, well, no, the biggest thing is figuring out what you have to say no to. The second biggest thing ah. is actually saying no to the things you know that you need to say no to. Okay. So there you go. That's okay. my book, Essentialism. Okay, you went too long, and, I, and I'm going long on my next book. Dang it, Jason. But first, we've got a sponsor, and we want to say thank you, sponsor. So let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. The Thrivecast is sponsored by Bill.com. Since 2006, Bill.com has been helping accounting professionals save time, deepen client relationships, and profitably grow their practice. Their cloud bookkeeping solution works with leading software like QuickBooks, making it a perfect fit for any workflow. Learn why Bill.com is endorsed by the American Institute of CPAs and loved by over 50 of the nation's top 100 accounting firms. Follow the link in the show notes to try it for yourself, risk-free. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, we obviously couldn't do this podcast without our sponsors, so we are so grateful for them. But we got to get back into it because Jason's got exactly 10 minutes to tell us about uh, his first book, which is by uh, What's His Buns that, uh, <laughs> that we interviewed. That we interviewed. What's the guy's we, name? We, <laughs> Todd. What did you say Todd about Henry. Todd Henry? Like we interviewed Todd Henry a long time ago, and when we were yeah. interviewing him, you said he was writing this book called Die Empty. Yeah, he was. Yeah, so that I think it's, it's Jason. This is something that's happened a few times where we have authors on, mm-hmm. and they're excited, and we we're excited to talk to them about some about like their big book that already came out, right. and they want to come on the podcast because they want to plug the uh, the, the one new, coming up, the, the one that's coming up. That was like that that lady uh, with the hat, the book about developing habits. Right. And she had the happiness experiment. That right. one, that was the same thing. So it was the same with, with Todd Henry, where we wanted to talk to him about his, his old book, but then he had this book, Die Empty, that we ended up talking a little bit about on podcast number, insert podcast number here. Episode 20. Yeah. So, okay, uh, we'll have our audio engineer insert that number later, and so y'all won't know actually what we did. Okay, but let's dive into uh, what's his Bun's book, Die Empty, Todd Henry. Right. <laughs> Todd. Yeah, so this was a good book, just really um, deep stuff. It's kind of a deeper book, you know, about really assessing your life and kind of what you're doing. And he has a chapter called Define Your Battles, and a lot of this stuff means a lot to me because it's just such cool things that I've been learning and growing in uh, as a leader nice. really over the past few years. And he talks about uh, being persistent in defining your battles. And I think a lot of us struggle with this. And I like to read quotes from the books. Uh, you didn't do that on yours, but I lose track if I don't read them. So, um, oh, right on. So he says, do the small but critical tasks that will help you progress towards your true objective rather than just the ones that others expect you to strive for. So I think what we see in the world when we see successful people, what we're not Uh seeing are those small battles, those small critical tasks that they've done. 
day in, day out. We just see them on the cover of Forbes magazine and we're like, dang. I want to be right. that too. But what we don't understand is what it took to be that. It took these many small critical decisions that are daily battles. And so he's, he's a lot of, you know what? A lot of his book could be really defined around essentialism. You know, he's, he's mm-hmm. saying, define your battles, choose what not to fight and choose the mm-hmm. things that only you should be fighting. He's big into that. So that was a pretty right. cool thing is choosing those small tasks. Right. And and so that small tasks idea, that's sort of the idea that that every overnight success was 10 years in the making. Exactly. OK, that, that's what it is. Um, right. So then in, in that same chapter, define your battles. He talks about passion um, okay. and he references who's the guy we interviewed that talked about passion. And he debunked uh, Cal the, Cal Newport. Cal Newport. He defunct. Debunked, he totally debunked, de- debunked, no, debunked <laughs> passion. No, he debunked passion. Because <laughs> before passion was like, and then afterwards, uh, passion was just like, bah, bah. <laughs> he defunked it completely. Dude, don't get me off, man. It's not cool. <laughs> no. He debunked passion. That's basically what he did. <laughs> I can't, I can't. How did he do? And so Cal Newport debunked passion. What did Todd Henry have to say about passion? What did he do? I'm putting you back on the rail. <laughs> okay, Aaron. If you Aaron. <laughs> Hello, Aaron. If you can't figure out where to cut this crap out, no, you leave it in, Aaron. Get a new Damn job. <laughs> okay. Now I don't know how, Aaron, you're gonna bring us back in, but right. Um, no, like this, like this. So, Jason, you were just speaking about how Todd Henry has some thoughts about passion I and w- how those possibly relate to a former guest we had called now Cal Newport. <laughs> I was, Greg. Thank you for setting me up with that. Uh, so you're well. So well. It was wonderful. No, in the, the same chapter, Define Your Battles, uh, what's his name? Todd Henry talks about passion. But you know what he does? He gives the Latin root word, which I thought was interesting, which is pati, which means okay. to suffer or endure. Now listen. Right. Okay, so passion has been this thing that we just pursue, and it's wonderful. And whatever it is, if I discover it, which, you know, Cal Newport said, it ain't something to discover, you know, you right. work, you work up to it. But if I just yeah. discover it, my whole life will be amazing. And that's not quite how it works. He says, uh, Todd Henry says about passion, great work requires suffering. Whoa. For something yeah. beyond yourself. It's created when you bend your life around a mission and spend yourself on something you deem worthy of your best effort. Uh, and he says, what is your worthwhile cause? And so that's basically, you know, the title of the book is Die Empty. And I like how he says, Bend your life around a mission. So it may mm-hmm. feel odd that if you have a mission, it may feel wrong to us that we have to bend or sacrifice or in- initiate a little bit of pain around making sure that mission is achieved. And to us, it confuses us, right? I think it does yeah. me. And it says, well, if this is painful and it's sacrificial and it hurts and I'm bending and I'm pushing and I'm pulling, then certainly this can't be right. This can't be my passion. Um, right. You know, but, it, you know, if you if you, you talk about weightlifting and training, so, you know, I go to CrossFit, you do weightlifting. There is a sense mm-hmm. of the pain is the sign that you're actually 
probably growing in some way or about to. Yeah. And so pain is a part of becoming better, uh, you know, increasing your health. Right. Well, and I think, and I think too, the whole idea that of, of passion, that, 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 that the root word is, is suffering, which I, you know, it's funny. I think I remember hearing Todd, uh, uh, Todd Henry talk about that on his podcast, uh, several times. And, and part of that is that passion is something that you have to be into so much that you're a, that you're totally on board with yeah. whatever suffering you need to go through right. to be awesome at what you're passionate about. And that, so it's like, yeah, whatever. And, and obviously growth, you know, growth, that's, that's something that I learned somewhere along the way. Oh, it was from Ruth. What's her buns names? The, <laughs> the, uh, the happiness project. Yeah. She talks about how growth is essential is an essential component to happiness. It's not sitting on your couch and watching Netflix. That may be pleasure, but it's not happiness okay. and, because growth is needed. So and growth you got to grow. Growth comes with um, some sacrifice, I think. And, right, you know, right. firm owners that are listening, I think, you know, don't be surprised when you run into things that are hard, when you're challenged to become a leader of people. These are hard things. These are skills. And you may not be adept at doing them. You may bump into things, but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't mean you're you're doing it wrong or it doesn't mean you're a bad leader or you're a wrong firm leader it just it's part of the process to developing your passion which does come later but it's going to take some bending and sacrifice to yep. achieve that passion yep. which right. is interesting um so in the same chapter define your battles <clears throat> he also talks about aimlessness and um again he's talking about the things that prevent you from dying empty and he says aimlessness okay. is a thing we can default oh. into. And he says when you choose one thing to focus on, wow, this is all about essentialism, isn't it? Right. This is a trip. Right. He says priorities <laughs> are difficult, and when you choose one thing to focus on, you automatically choose not to focus on others. And this is why some people fall into aimlessness. They don't like the discomfort of having to say no to very good things that aren't the most important things. That is so essentialism. Yeah, yeah, it's, totally. Yeah, the quotes that you're saying, I'm kind of going. I think that could have been out of essentialism. I know essentialism because it's a lot of the same stuff. So he's saying. So with die empty, it's funny because I always thought that was you've got all this creativity inside you, get it out before you're dead. But it's but he wants to focus that and say no, not all the creativity. Get the right creativity out of you before you're dead. Right, and he's setting you up. How do you get the right things out of you? And he now you know we're talking about defining your battles and things like that. Uh -huh. um, right. Another another chapter in find your voice um he talks about life in the shadows uh and okay he, and he quotes somebody in the book julia cameron of the artist's way um oh yeah have you heard of that I, book? I i think so i think that's the lady who says you should wake up and and write as soon as you uh wake up okay if you're a writer yeah before before you yeah it's some some psychological thing that your brain is in the right okay. uh, state for creativity when you first wake up. Okay. Well, there's a there's a part of this that Todd Henry mentions uh, the phrase "life in the shadows," and he says, and this is the quote from Julia Cameron in the Artist Way. It says, "For all shadow artists, that is, artists who want to be artists but they chose another path that was close to artisan mm. because they didn't have the they didn't feel they could be a true artist." Uh, mm -hmm. he, they're living in the shadows is basically, and, and she calls them shadow artists. And so mm -hmm. he, the quote is for all shadow artists, life may be discontented, may be a discontented experience filled with a sense of missed purpose and unfulfilled promise. They want to write, they want to paint, 
They want to act, make music, but they're afraid to take themselves seriously. Uh, so there's some sense of life in the shadows. And I don't know, this is a cool quote from Steve Martin from his book, Born Standing Up. Have you read that book? Uh-huh. I have. Great book. Because you're, you're a stand-up comedian, and so I yeah. think you would relate to Steve Martin. Um, yep. I've heard the book is awesome. This quote is, it is, is. really is mind-blowing. It says, he says, I did stand-up comedy for 18 years. Ten of those years were spent learning. Ten. Four uh-huh. years were spent refining. And four years were spent in wild success. I was seeking comedic originality. That's what he was after. Uh-huh. But fame fell on him as a byproduct. Right. He, the course of this, he says, was more plodding than heroic. It wasn't a heroic 18 years. It was mm-hmm. plodding along, 14 of those really, with no fame at all. And he wasn't even searching for fame, right? He, he, mm-hmm. Wasn't he trying to become a good stand-up comedian? He, he really was a craft he was seeking. Yeah. And then fame yeah. just fell on him as a byproduct of him achieving that thing after a 14-year plod through that journey. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a huge thing. I mean, again, it it ties back into passion. It's if you're, if you're really doing your life's work, it seems like you're going to be doing it, whether or not you're, you know, on Johnny Carson, or if you're at an open mic, if it's, if it's your life's work, you're going to be, you're going to, you're more than willing to suffer for it. And if you, if you get to the point, yeah, once you get amazing success comes from that, not, you know, a lot of times success and fame is is not what you're uh, focusing at. It's, it actually becomes kind of gross. I think that's what yeah. you get when you get a Kim Kardashian is she's right. just famous for the sake of being famous. Right. And every, everybody kind of, you know, gets a little queasy looking at that. But if it's somebody's like, no, I love what I'm doing and I would do this if I got paid or if I didn't, right. which that's one of the tough things. If you're really pursuing your passion, it can make your job pricing yourself very, very diff- that's difficult right. yeah. because you would do it for nothing. That's right. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Fame is a byproduct. That totally makes sense to me. Okay. So let's do one more break for a wonderful sponsor. Thank you sponsors for, for hooking us up and making the Thrivecast possible. And then we'll come right back. Right on. Canopy Tax is a sponsor of the Thrivecast. Canopy is doing a lot of really revolutionary things with their practice management and tax resolution software. But what I really want to talk about is their IRS transcripts tool. Canopy's transcripts tool makes it easy to pull and analyze multiple years worth of IRS transcripts in just a few minutes. And Canopy Tax is giving it away for free forever to all of our listeners. Get Canopy's free transcripts tool at canopytax.com slash thrive. And Greg, we got our third book. Thank you, sponsor. Greg, you're going to do this, our third book, but your second book called Play Anything. Yep, Play Anything. The uh, The subtitle is The Pleasure of Limits, The Uses of Boredom, and The Secret of Games. Uh, the the nice. author is this dude who is – he's a he's a, a video game developer, uh, and he's also he's also a self uh, you know uh, he he self proclaimed philosopher uh, as he goes through this. But what but what he does is he basically is is uh, the whole idea of playing anything is that uh, we as human beings one of the things that we that we desire so greatly not just as human is is engagement. 
is yep. this is to be engaged in what we're doing. That's when we're when we're having a great time, it's because we're fully engaged in what are do when in what we're doing. And the crazy thing is, uh, you know, the uh, employers, if you've got if you've got people who work for you, you so desperately want your people to be engaged at work, oh, right, yeah. Jason? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you want you want people who are like, I I'm doing this and I'm in it and I'm making it awesome. Mm. And one of the things that you find is that play, three different types of play, are all ways that people engage like hell in their job. And 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 there and there are there's very specific there's three three specific different types of play that people th- three they're specific but they're different and it's weird because because before reading this book I didn't really spend a lot of time on like what what is play uh-uh. and and I've never I don't di- think about it at all uh, yeah nobody would why would you that'd be ridiculous but this guy <laughs> did and he made me do it too but there's three different types of play and and uh, so there's there's the play that you have in sports there's the play that you have like in music like you know cuz like you could play soccer or you could play the violin or there's play where you're just like screwing around mm, those are yeah, yeah. Th- three different types of play but three different types of being actively engaged in what you're doing and three different ways that you cannot just transform your workplace but you can transform your life and just the quality of how you live by by through play so first off the first type of play is sports Okay. And it's that's the it's it which implies two things. Even this even this blew my mind because he talked in his subtitle, "The Pleasure of Limits." He said, "Think about sports." And he and he specifically he must be a soccer fan because he talked a lot about soccer. And he's like, "Sports has two very specific things. It has a very clear goal: get this ball in that thing <laughs> right over there, yeah, and don't bother these bounds. You know, well, well, the the clear goal is get the ball in that thing." But then soccer also sets up very intentional limitations. So the boundaries are limits. You can't go over there and you can't go over there while you're trying to get this ball in there. The other thing is don't use your damn hands. And people are like, what? I can't use my hands. I use my hands for everything. And it's like, nope, not in this game. And then all of a sudden it's fun because I you see. know exactly what you're supposed to do, but you're also going, oh, I'm 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 intentionally limiting myself somehow. Cool. And if you if you think about sports, all sports are like that. Basketball, you have to dribble. You don't think about it. You have to dribble the ball. Why? I don't know. They made because it up. And it makes it fun. If you didn't have to dribble the ball, the game would suck. It would be so, footballish, kind of. Yeah, it would, it would be, <laughs> but but – but you 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 put up all these limitations in any kind of sports that you play. With with tennis, you can't you can't kick the ball in tennis. You gotta hit it with your racket. Okay, <laughs> the, it's it's not just get the ball over the net and have it hit in the spot and the other guy not. Ret- it's like no, you gotta do it with a racket. And and we've talked about that before in terms of creativity, where creativity comes from establishing limits by saying, I've got to work within these yeah. constraints, and that's where I'm going to find my creativity. That's also where you find your play is you say, okay, I'm going to do my job, but I'm going to do it within these very specific uh these very specific timelines and then I'm going to try to I'm going to try to sort of mess with it and and so that's cool ha- having clear goals so one of the things like I, I remember uh whatever that HBR author guy super famous uh about strategy 
the guy the guy who says you can have uh, you can be the low cost leader or you can have a differentiation strategy. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, you know the guy I'm talking about. Yeah. But one of the things that he talks about as well in strategy is he says one way to get a good strategy for your company is to have a well defined enemy. So oh, if nice. you're so if your job if you're saying what we're gonna it's like like you know I I think um, you could say Apple versus Microsoft. Yeah. So it's like we're we're Apple. I mean, I don't think that's their strategy, but it's like we're Apple and we want to we want to defeat the Goliath that is Microsoft. And that's what they did. And and now they've got the biggest market cap out of any, mm. I think, out of anybody, or at least they're fighting for that. Oh, they for used a while. to. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of they did it. So having it. So and that's what happens in team sports. You go well in all sports. You got there's me, there's them and we I want to beat them. But there's another type of sport, another aspect of sports where you're competing against yourself and you're trying to say, okay, I'm going to, I mean, and I tried doing this just with working out where I was like, okay, I'm going, I'm going to try to get done with my workout faster than I, than I have before. And all of a sudden I was much more engaged in something that I usually don't even think about, which is just exercise. And, and, but, but. But here was the interesting thing. The limitations that I put on myself, it was a very clear goal to get it done, but I didn't want to compromise on the quality, like on, on my form when I was lifting, stuff like that. It's like I, I've got to do it well, but I still have to do it fast. Mm. And then all of a sudden, like I'm done with my workout, which usually is like, okay, cool, I'm done, uh, next thing. But on that day, I was like, oh, I beat, I got done faster than I have in a long, long time. And I finished. I was like, I was like yeah, I, I won. It. I was like, yeah, and it's just like no, you just fr- freaking did the same thing you do every day, and you have for you know fifteen years or something like that. But it was it was, but I was engaged because I turned it I turned it into some kind of sport where I was competing against myself. So type of first type of play is sports. Any questions? No, you got four minutes. Cool. Music is another type. <laughs> making making art. And basically, music. So sports is intentional limitations and clear goals. Music. How that apply that type of play with work is really how can I become amazing at doing this thing that I'm doing? Okay, and that's a type of play where you look at what you do and you say, "I want to become a freaking master of this. I want to not and not just where I can." Not not just proficiency, not just kind of the mastery that we hear about with Dan Pink's uh, uh, drive, yeah. with the mastery, autonomy, and purpose. I mean, that stuff's great. We're ta- we're talking mastery to a new level where it's like I'm not just trying to to be able to do my job uh, effic- effectively. I want to make it beautiful. I want I want what I do to be awe inspiring, where people where people just uh, you know. Are are shocked about about the quality of what I'm doing. Um, so in this, we're talking about uh, yeah, like I said, taking your job and making art out of your job. But one of the things that's that's very important, I think, about this type of play, the the artistic, the music, the become amazing at what I'm doing, is that you can't just privately rehearse. You can't do this. Oh, uh, you yeah. can't hide. Don't hide your don't hide your candle under a bushel basket. <laughs> you got to do it in front of people. Right, because my daughter, she was taking <laughs> piano lessons, but twice a year they had a they had a recital. 
because mm. she needed to be able to do that in front of people. And and Jason, you see this in some weird places. I remember at one point when I was a teacher hearing that the bus drivers of my school district did a school bus rodeo every year <laughs> where they they would what? like and I don't I have no idea what a school bus roadie. I didn't ask the question of what that meant, but from what I can imagine is they basically like set up obstacle course and different games to play to show I'm the best damn school bus driver <laughs> around. I can do this. Um, you know, I, I have amazing <laughs> skills and I'm going to show it off is what, that's what, what they, it's know, what they do. You know, that's interesting. I played, I played bass guitar in high school and I would learn uh-huh. it in my bedroom and then uh-huh. somebody told me, said, now you, you're getting pretty good. You need to go play in a band. And I said, yeah. really, why? They said, y'all will suck probably, but you will grow as a musician if exactly. you go be with other people and play in front of them and with them. You'll, you're, and I grew so much as a player. It was, it was a wild Exactly. So if you're playing, if you're, if you're deciding to take the strategy of playing like the music artistic kind of thing, Become amazing at what you're doing, but make sure there's some place to publicly display. Also, when I was a when I was a car salesman, they had these walk around competitions because one of the things you're supposed to do as a salesman is you're supposed to be able to walk around the car and show all the features in a very interesting and engaging way with your potential buyers. But they would have competitions where you could go to a national walk around competition. <gasps> no for way. The and it was it's something stupid and kind of gross as selling a car, but <laughs> people were making it an art and were winning competition because there's amazing. a it's a public a, a public uh, aspect to it. The other thing that's awesome about fi- about this music type of thing, and this is what I find what I love about stand up comedy, is that you ne- you know your it's your goal with with making something beautiful with what you work, your goal is entirely aspirational. You could always make that painting better. I could always become funnier at my standup. I could always create new material that's better and that works better. There's a there's an intense joy and intense engagement in life and in work when you look at your job as art and go, I could how could I improve this even more? How could I even be ma- amazing? Because you're never going to plateau. You're always going to have something new to try to try to figure out. So I'm, I'm sure I'm out of time, but oh, the yeah. third type of is basically improvisation. It's like what I do when I do improv comedy. It's just screwing around. People take work and take life way too seriously, but everybody loves it. It's it's the weirdest thing because I love to screw around at work. I love to screw around when I'm kind of not supposed to screw around. And the weird thing is people love it. I get... I have I have a I have my work number. My cell phone number is my work number. I have a message on there that's damn funny, and I get <laughs> and you'd be surprised at the people who call me who on their voicemail. The first thing is them chuckling, going, "Oh my gosh, I love your friggin' voicemail message," and then they get into it. People love it when you take life less seriously. Figure out how to screw around at work, and this is something that comes that's, from wow. improv. Find the game. We always talk about it in improv of finding the game within the game. Yeah. Like if we're doing, like somebody gives us a suggestion for a scene, we start playing it and then figure out how, how are you and I going to somehow find some way to screw around? We're screwing around already, but then you're screwing around within screwing around. So basically only you two as the comics know that you're goofing off and you have an inside joke. The audience doesn't even know. Y'all are trying to say some stupid word or something. You challenged each other. 
sometimes there's that where in the back it's like it's like dude i, ter- I you, in this next scene you have to say bratwurst you know so, <laughs> something like that there's that but then there's also games that the that the audience picks up on they go oh my gosh they're they're doing this they weren't really supposed to be doing this but they're doing this and they're fine and it's you know it's it can it can be it's it's really just stop taking work so seriously mm. and make sure that you're playing because what's weird is that at first you're going well if you're screwing around are you engaged and it's like well you can screw around to avoid engagement, but when you're screwing around, when you're when you're going, okay, here's my job. Here, I have to do this tax return. Obviously, I can't get it wrong, but what am I going to do to just kind of play, you know, play with this? How am I going? I do that when I send my my because I do a lot of the the pick and shovel work for our review and for our tax return yeah. before I send it to the CPA company that does the final touches on it. And I always am trying to throw jokes into the stuff that I'm doing so that they may or may not, you know, it's like, it's like, do you know, like there's a, you know, on a checklist, like, do you know of any illegal activities within, within the company? And it's like, and I put something like, well, apart from my raging heroin addiction, no, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. They've got to so, ask you about that and go, is they, he serious? They know I'm not. And that's the beauty is I go, not only was it fun for me to think that and put that in and it made my life a little more enjoyable. I'm going, I'm spreading the joy to these other people. That is hilarious. But then, but then this all ties into, into other stuff. You can't play without a focus. Essentialism, again, clear goals of sports. You got to know exactly what you're trying to do or else you can't play the sports kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Focus in what am I trying to do? Define my work. It's kind of like the work only uh, uh, results only work environment where as a manager, you got to tell people exactly. You got to make sure they know how they win at their work so they can do it in the best way that they can. Mm-hmm. There's all the stuff that ties into it. Um, it flow, you know that, that book Flow by Oh yeah. Yeah, that guy. It's the same thing there. When you're when you're playing, you are in a flow state. When you're engaged with your work and play, you're in you're in that flow state. The other thing is play also creates culture because you're creating stories. Whenever I'm mm. able to tell people about ways that because everybody says we have a fun work workplace. It's like prove it. Prove that you do. The only way you do is by playing and by getting stories about how you've played. You know, one way we we try to do that in our firm is we, part of the firm voice is we use a lot of gifts. Yeah. So in we're virtual firm, so we have an online, you know, chat system. And so it's, it's really common. Everybody knows they're actually told use a lot of gifts. We, we, we on purpose, put them in emails to, uh-huh. to clients. And it's weird. Some people are so good at choosing just the right GIF. And so we don't yeah. even write a response in our chat system. We just put a GIF yeah. up and you're dying. Yeah. You're like, that is so yeah. freaking perfect. Yes. And it's just part of the voice that we do. And it's just exactly. it's so fun. It's so fun. And it's and that hits on two things. That's the improv style where you're just kind of screwing around. Just screwing around. You know, but but it's also that music, that artistic thing where it's like, I'm gonna find the per I I'm I'm in I know my gifts. I know the perfect gift yeah. to where I don't even need to say a word. I can put this gift it's and perfect. they know exactly what I mean. That's exactly, that's totally what we're talking about. Now, Jason, I need to pull the covers off before I finish talking about this oh. because what I just talked about was not what the book play anything was about. Um, Uh-oh. I, Have you yeah, been fooling the audience? I've been fooling you and the audience because what I just talked about was what I really wanted the book play anything to be about. 
to be about, and I read it, and it was kind of crap. Uh, but I was so excited about reading it, and he made me think the whole time. I'm like, going, when's he gonna get to this stuff, and when's he gonna get to this stuff? And he never did, and I was so pissed off at this whole thing. So I like wrote this. I might write this book uh, myself of what play any what I wanted the book play anything to be about because. <laughs> Because I mean, he touched on a lot of this, and he made you know he made the limitation stuff was there, uh, the idea that we're not engaged. He talked about that kind of from the other side of it. All that sort of stuff was there, but I, this was all me ta- thinking through. Like the stuff he was saying caused me to think all of this stuff, and this is what I wanted to read in the book. The th- play anything? So you're you're telling me the three ideas you came up with were not in the book. You made those no, up. You wanted them to. <laughs> yeah. He made me think about it. He talks a lot about what is play, what is fun, all that kind of stuff, yeah. what is happiness. But it's like – but I was like, here's what – this is what I – this is the book I wanted you to read to, to read to me. I read – I listened to the audiobook. It's like this is what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear you saying crap over and over. And it's, it's a fine – it's a fine book. It just didn't – No, it's what. not. You just I said you don't like it. It, it was – Okay. <laughs> Okay, you just made a game out of our podcast. The introduction was rad. I did just, yeah, I kind of did, didn't I? <laughs> you just gamified our I podcast gamified. recording, right on on the book on the book club <laughs> on the book club episode. But you had to rat yourself out just in case a listener is read the book and went, "God, is that oh. a different book he read?" No. No, 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 not because I was just afraid that a listener would buy the book and they go, what the hell? This book (laughs) was full of crap. This book sucks. So look for my book coming out. It's called Playing at Work, uh, The Way That I Tricked Jason in 2017. That's the subtitle. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So before we get to my next book, we want to tell everybody 7th Annual Deeper Weekend Conference is coming up. It's October 25th through 27th. You can register now online with the hashtag DW17. And Greg, we've got an amazing MC coming. Uh, who who do you got this year? Last this, year sucked. Last year sucked. This year we got Greg Kite. Nice. Finally, somebody who I've heard of. You were <laughs> I think you were the MC last year, weren't you? Oh, yes, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that's you cool. know what? If you go to our registration page, go to thrival.com, scroll down, there's an orange banner, click on that. And you can register, put in a code at the bottom of the registration page. You'll get $100 off with the code. $100 off. Yeah, $100 no, off. you got to write in the hashtag. It's got to have the hashtag DW17, and you'll get uh-huh. $100 off the ticket Dang. up until August 30th. Okay. So this – Okay, so you got about a you got about a month from when this podcast drops right. to use that hashtag to get your hundred dollars. That's off. right, and then you're going to so, be put your hat your name's going to be put in a hat to draw uh, five hundred dollars towards a plane ticket to the event. Right, nice, that's awesome. Come on, that'd be that'd be rad. And if, if regardless of how you come, you need to tell me what uh, audiobooks you're going to listen to during your travels so that I can make fun of you, uh, and then you can Twitter. tell me how I was totally wrong in making <laughs> how. <laughs> How I was way off base and that you're right that's and I'm right. wrong. So that's just how my life works. That's how it works. And so Jeff Phillips, the CEO of Accounting Fly, and myself will be teaching on scaling and growing your firm, really talking mm-hmm. through the book Traction, how, how to yeah. actually ha- have a vision for a company, a firm, and actually execute the vision. There's there's processes and plans to do it. We'll get to workshop together. It's going to be amazing. So. Yeah. That's always, coming up. always is. Plus, just the networking you get to get, get to do with all the other Thrival members who are who you want to talk about a group of people who are engaged and who who are inspiring and who do 
treat their uh, their their firm like a, like playing the violin and they're trying mm. to they're trying to play beautiful music with the instrument that they got that's what that's what you're going to get there gonna be plus awesome. uh Jeff Phillips uh smart guy also uh easy on the eyes so <laughs> uh besides he's, that yeah so he's not he's not a he's not a he's not an ugly guy <laughs> so you did you didn't mention me but yeah Jeff would be the guy to mention he's the guy to look at I'm, let's be honest well you were saying I'm obvious I'm the obvious I'm obvious, so we'll just mention Jeff Everybody also. Knows, everybody knows you're good looking, so we don't need to plug that. We'll Jeff mention, is also. We'll mention the other one too. Yeah. Okay. So, so it'll be a good looking conference. Come to it now, <laughs> Jason. You've got okay. You've got a book that you're going to talk yeah. to us about now called Persuasion yeah. by Cialdini. Right. But di- now, tell me if I'm wrong. On another uh, book club episode, didn't you do? Another persuasion book by Cialdini? I probably did his first book, which was Influence. Influence. That's it. Yeah. You did. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. that's a that's a that's a that's one of his seminal works in marketing. Yeah. And he's a psychology professor. Uh-huh. I, I don't I think he still is. And so the book is really thick. His books are really thick. They have a lot of scientific experiments. Though he he's kind of a humorous writer. It's kind of enjoyable to read, but just uh, it's a deep, deep book. So it's not one yeah. of these lighter books like, come on, guys, you can go do it. It's very scientific, um, yeah. though fun. But it's it is amazing, it has a lot to do with marketing and selling. And basically the point of the book, he says. The central assertions of the book is that the truly, okay, so persuasion, let me just explain the word. So persuasion are things that you do just before the thing you're really doing that help cause that person to do the thing you want them to do. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So so when you're selling to somebody, it's what Uh you're doing before you enter into the sales process is what actually drives a lot of times the behavior of that person, it's pre-suasion. So it's, yeah. you know, it's a play on the words persuasion, obviously, right? but it's pre-suasion. Right. So it's what you it's do. It's pre-suasion. So the assertion right. of the book so is... These are, so these are Jedi. So, because I remember from Influence, it was kind of Jedi mind tricks. Yep. So this is yep. like yep. more the, Jedi mind These tricks. are totally Jedi mind tricks. Now, he talks about how marketers use these for, for ill, but he talks about how to not be tricked by these things. Um, right. And it's it's really cool. So he says the assertion of the book is that the truly influential things we say and do first act to persuade our audience, which they which they accomplish by altering the audience members associations with what they do or say next. And I'll talk a little bit about associations in a minute. But basically, the one of the main persuasions you do is to build trust with people. Right. There are ways people, there are ways to build trust before you actually enter into a sales conversation. So, for example, we talk a lot about client onboarding in building our firm. So, if you enter into a sales process with a potential new client and you haven't done other things like talk to them, send them a form, make them fill out something, uh send them two two emails, uh then you're yeah. not doing a lot of the work meant to to build trust, which is the persuasion association that person needs to then attach the selling techniques you're using on them to, to you. And you know, one right. way we do that, Greg, like we, I have another podcast for that. That's kind of focused on the niche our firm serves. And a right. lot of people come into a sales process with me and they're like, I feel like I already know you. I trust you. And I'm like, yeah, well, I've never, I've never talked to you before. 
They're like, oh, right. I, I talk to you all the time. I listen to you on the podcast. Right. And it's right. like, whoa, that, that actually was building trust. And I didn't know it. So, for example, if 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 listeners, you come to Deeper Weekend, you're going to feel like you know Greg or I, and we're going to give you a hug. And yeah, because we we know you, and you can trust truly. You can trust us. I have some candy. Yep. I want to give. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that your candy's awesome. And also, uh, like I I remember reading somewhere that people want to they want to do business with people that they like, know, and trust. That those are the three things. So it sounds like, you know, and so that that obviously makes sense that if those things are already there, the the sales process kind of isn't even a sales process. It's just a yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this together. So how does it how does it happen? That's right. And that, so yeah, yeah, that's kind of it. But here's the thing: I'm gonna tell you some stories because he has a lot of stories in the book, and those cool. really help drive the the point home. But you said. Cool. People want to do business with people they trust and like. You can actually do yeah. persuasive things to have people like you right? to prepare them to be sold to in some certain manner. Right. Let me give you an example. He's always following people around. He followed this dude who was the key home alarm system sales guy in this company. He killed okay. everybody. He, he always outsold everybody. He was like... How does this guy do this? And so he went on sales calls with the guy. So here's what the guy did, and this was all intentional. He would, they would walk into the person's home each time, and uh-huh. then the guy, the sales guy, would go, God, "You know what? I forgot a book um, in my car. Let me just, I'm gonna run out there. If you don't mind, I'm gonna run out there and I'll let myself back in uh, before we come." And so Robert Cialdini's riding around with this guy, and he noticed he did it like four times, and he's like, "Okay." Uh-huh. Dude, you're not a forgetful guy. You're not forgetting something. And so the he's, guy, like, he's like saying, this time, don't forget the damn book. <laughs> yeah. You've done it four times. Pull your head out of your butt. How are you the best salesman? <laughs> so what So what he told Robert Cialdini, he said, what is, in, an, in a home alarm sales, what is the one thing I can do to make a, uh, you know, a stronger association with what I'm doing? I can build trust with that homeowner. And what is one way they can ensure and make sure that they trust me is if they let me a stranger in to walk into their home without being invited. They have just participated in a pre-association to something I'm about to sell them. And this guy kills it. He sells an alarm every single time he forgets his book and lets himself into those people's home. It was a total trip you know, when I yeah. read that. And then, and another cool story is Robert Cialdini said he used to do palm reading when he was younger. Okay. Not for the paranormal activity, but it was a fun icebreaker at parties. Okay. And he said, gotcha. I knew nothing about this, but almost every time I did a palm reading with people, they would go, yeah, man, that's God, you know me, dude. <laughs> and he was like, they would say, how do you do that? And he would slide, you know, slyly, he would smile. He actually didn't know why, but he, he wrote this book and he knows why now. He said there uh, was a pre-association. So for example, he would grab their palm and he would get their thumb and he would gently bend it back and he would look at him and he'd go, I sense that you, you're a stubborn type of person. You have some stubbornness in your past. And he said, uh, what he did is he was associating stubbornness with that person. And then the person would go back into their mind and find a stubborn yeah. related incident. Yeah. And, and it would go bing in their brain. And then they would, they would go to the next one and they'd go, you're right. You know, I am stubborn. 
And it, uh-huh. they're only stubborn because he bent their thumb and told them they were stubborn. And then they, they agreed. Right. And so, Which is so not stubborn. They should have been like, screw you. I'm never stubborn. <laughs> well, he said he would go to parties and he did, he did the thumb bend on this one guy at the beginning uh, of the party. And then when the guy had a number of drinks, he did the thumb bend and told him something totally different. And uh, the guy agreed with him and both. Oh, nice. That's awesome. <laughs> no, he said he was stubborn first, and then he said he was flexible the next time. Okay. And the guy was gotcha. like, oh. you know, I am flexible, man. <laughs> I, there are times, you know, I remember a time. That's awesome. So it's what, so, so he talks. So, oh, so go how ahead. Do we, how do we do, so how do we do that? Okay. Like so, what, like do you, so, I mean, I would love to take all of my potential clients and do a palm reading with them. <laughs> it's like, Hey, Hey, I know, I know you're thinking about <laughs> I know you're thinking about buying medical office space or, you know, that's what I do. Or if you're like, I know you need your texture, but first we, we always give a complimentary palm reading to every, <laughs> that's how you do it. Oh, cool. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So I, listeners, let's, let's add that into our, no, it's no, you don't charge for that. You do. It's a persuasive service you do to right. everybody. Right. Right. Exactly. So before this is sort of part of our onboarding process is a right. palm reading. Right. So and you can say, you know, I sense from your hand that your, your tax system is pretty complex. It's going to probably right. take a lot of work. And they go, you I know, can, you're right. My grandmother right. just gave me a house and it's freaking me out, man. Right. And I can tell that, that taxes stress you out. That's great. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, he said in palm reading, he said, I kind of said things that were generally true of most of the human race. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which is like, like every, uh, every horoscope right. is like, yeah, it's, it's like, like, you're, you, you're kind you of, enjoy fun. and it's like, well, I do enjoy fun. Jeez. <laughs> That's so funny. So what he talks about is the, the primacy of associations. I link, therefore I think. So he's saying associations are linking things together. And if you do that in a persuasive way, meaning you do it before you enter into the activity you want them to participate in, you're linking things up and in positive ways, you know, it's going to help them. And he says the brain's operations arise fundamentally and inescapably from raw associations. Just as amino acids can be called the building blocks of life, associations can be called the building blocks of thought. So, for example, they have done studies, and they said in a wine store, when they play mm-hmm. German music, people buy more German wines. It's It really? happens. It's like, mm. and they can change the music to Italian, and they'll buy uh-huh. Italian wines. It is wild how people mm. associate. He talked to one project manager who would come into companies, this is an association, They she would come into companies and she would help build efficient processes for the team to follow. So they would do this for a company. <clears throat> she was talking to Robert Cialdini. She said, you know, we can't figure it out. Or no, she said, we figured it out that when we would go to a conference room um, that would have a glass on it, we would see the the people walking back, back and forth. And we would do, we would do better work for the companies when we could see the people walking back and forth uh, than when we were secluded in a conference room with no, yeah. with no glass walls. And so at right. first they thought the people walking back and forth would distract us. And this oh. is where he's talking about geographical associations. Even okay. locations yeah. can persuade people to do things like you can persuade people about things in a coffee shop differently than you can your office. It's okay. It's, it just depends on what you're trying huh. to achieve or what kind of trust you're trying to do before you enter into that activity of right. persuasion and sales. And so she found that out. And then she said, sometimes we can't control what conference room we go to. So then she said, 
we started printing out pictures of the employees in big boards and leaning them against the wall. And Uh we would do better work for the client when we couldn't see them. And then she said, they kept tweaking it. She said, then when we had action shots of the employees moving Uh and those pictures were displayed on boards in their wall, they would do much better work than if they were just still pictures. No kidding. So what these things are doing, these are brain cognitive, persuasive associations to allow you to work harder and faster or better for that team in some in some right. way. So, so it's so a that, uh, Did he talk, did he talk about that where it's like seeing these people, like if you actually can see people walking back and forth that, that like triggers in your head. That's like, no, I'm making, what I'm doing is making a difference for a human being. So I want to do a great job rather than when you can't see them, you're just doing some abstract thought experiment. Is that, I, did he get into no, that? At all? I, I mean, he didn't, he didn't say why he's just he, talking about the, just, the studies of what this persuasive behavior does. Right. And he's okay. basically, he says in uh, one of the chapters, he says, persuasion is basically, he uses this term a lot is the front loading of attention. So okay. what you're doing is you're front loading the focus of that person's attention on the thing you want them to focus on. Okay. And if you can front load that attention and one way to do that is trust. Trust is a way to front yeah. load attention onto, you know, uh, how people right. can trust you and they're going to give you something. Um, you can front load uh, the attention well, of something and actually well, perform something more, you know, a better sales call or something like that. Okay, that's that's interesting. That reminds me because I did I I did used to sell cars and yeah. oh, one of that the things would be perfect that, car salesman techniques. Well, 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 one of the things that they did talk to us about was they were like you, you know, they were always they're talking lots about just chatting up. You're, you know, don't just go straight to, to the walk around for the car. Don't go straight into that, but chat them up, try to get, find common commonalities because people Boom. buy from people they like, know, and trust. Boom. But one of the Jedi mind tricks they said is try to have them say the word yes a lot. Oh, ask, man. ask leading questions where they're saying yes. So it's like, That's perfect. so it's like, are you going on vacation this year? Yes. Are you you going to celebrate Christmas this year? Yes, I am. Are you know? Do, do <laughs> dude, you you know? Dude, you notice this book? That's this book. That is amazing. They wear a wedding ring. You go see so you married, and they go yes. And then all of a sudden, they're predisposed to giving a to to saying yes rather than saying no. So that when you say, "Would you like to buy this car?" they go yes because <laughs> they've been they're on a roll. You know. And, okay. So obviously, people that hear this kind of thing are like, "Okay, this can get unethical really quick." And yes, yeah, it can. And he talks a lot about how this can be unethical, but you can you can fight this if you know what's happening. And he wrote the book to help uh, you know what people are doing to you and, right, and what right. the sound of that music and that wine store is actually meaning you to do. So if you hear German music in a wine store, you say, heck no, I'm getting me some American wine. <laughs> you fight that persuasion because he right. says you can fight it if you know it's happening. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Which is totally true because that's, it's the easiest thing to kind of dispel to break the spell yeah. is to is to go, oh, I know what's happening that's right, right now. You know, and I, that's what one thing that's cool, I will say this, Greg, is that your your experience as a used car salesman in your in the past has come in handy on many of our podcasts. That is yeah. it really are great examples of of, right. of, of well and I, it, I'm, it supports I'm so many of our books. Yeah. It it does. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Wait, are you making fun of me? Yeah, I am sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
I bring it up a lot, but they, I, I'm shopping for mattresses right now. Listen to me. Listen. Okay, listen. I'm shopping for mattresses. Last night, I go I go to a mattress store. The guy lays me down on a mattress. Says, that feels pretty good, doesn't it? And I'm like going, and I'm like going, uh, of course it does. I'm laying on a mattress. And it's like, when does, when do you ever, I've never been on a mattress. Go, oh, ooh. You know, even. Did you have this you know, conversation with him? No. Oh. Uh, well, kind of. Kind of, I did. I was like, I'm not very discerning. Anyways, you don't want to know about all that. But it's the same kind of thing where he's he's like trying to go. He's trying to go comfy, huh? Yeah. And it's like, yes, yeah, uh, yes. You know, and he was even like going, which you want to know? He asked me the question. He had me lie on a couple different mattresses. So which one do you like better? He wasn't like, which is which is forcing you to go. I do like that one. So that you so you're you have sudden, to buy it. Right, exactly. So he's, that's all priming. That's right. all stuff that's priming you for sale. And so it was kind of interesting knowing that while I was in it and just kind of, you know, and I didn't buy a mattress because I'm not a sucker. So <laughs> I know I what still, he's doing. I'm still sleeping on the floor, Jason, because I'm not a loser. <laughs> well, listen, we're, we are way out of time. Because, oh, my gosh. But this was, man, these books are so fun. I, did anybody learn anything? I hope they, they did. did. This was awesome. They learned tons of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And we, uh, we want to, uh, before we go, we want to thank you. And, and if tell us what you did learn, we would love to get your feedback on this podcast, throw us a tweet, send us a, send us some, put, you know, leave a, leave a, uh, uh, comment on the, on the, whatever platform you download this on. We'd love to see that a review on iTunes, okay. all that stuff would be great. Uh, or you can talk to us directly, Jason, if people want to get a hold of you and tell you all the amazing things they learned from your book reports, how would they, how would they do that? It would be at Jason M. Blummer on Twitter. You can also hit up Thrival CPAs on Twitter as well. Gotcha. How do, right they, hit, how do they hit you up, Greg? Uh, at Greg Kite on Twitter, or uh, you can uh, email me at uh, buttface at gregkite.com, and that comes straight to my email. Um, we also need to thank some people. Uh, Jennifer Blummer, she's our producer. She does a, a great job. She helps us figure out how we're supposed to structure these shows and gives us the – She, I mean, she really – she set so that we can spike and we couldn't do without That's her. That's right. And Aaron Dowd, our audio engineer, he's going to have a lot of work to do on this particular episode uh, because if you didn't hear it, I busted out laughing in the middle of it. Maybe we'll cut out some of that or maybe we won't. Hey, I want to mention a few other things. If you want to know more about Thrival Membership, you can come to a monthly intro call and the show yeah. notes have the link to register for that intro call. It's just 30 minutes. I, and I do those live. I just want to tell you a little bit about Thrival. We answer questions about firm growth if you have those. And um, and then we got Deeper Weekend coming up too. So Yep. So come to that because we'd love to meet you. We'd love to give you a hug and give you some candy. So okay. come out to <laughs> Deeper Weekend. Uh, episode 73 is done. We'll see you guys next month. We'll see you. We'll see you.